If you have a copy of God's Word with you, join me, if you would, in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, there's uh, many in the pews in front of you or sometimes underneath the pew. The New Testament book of 1 Peter. It was Sunday morning. Peter sat in semi-darkness as the early morning light began to peer through the windows next to him. It made no matter to him. The darkness still enveloped his heart. He hadn't slept in two nights. He hadn't slept, in fact, since his Savior told him to stay awake and pray. The last two days had been the longest of his life. Never had he cried so much. And yet now he seemed to be all out of tears, nothing left. An occasional sob would escape, but now he felt only numbness inside. He had denied knowing Jesus. He had denied his Savior, the one who only hours he had said, I will never do that, Lord. And he didn't do it just once, but three times. How could he have abandoned his Lord at a time when he needed him the most? He felt so angry, so ashamed, so confused, so hopeless. As he glanced up to the eastern sky, he saw the sun beginning to rise and wish it would just go back where it came from. All he wanted to do was sit alone in the dark. Then he noticed a figure who appeared to be running down the path to the home where he and John were staying. It was a woman. It was Mary. She was shouting something. He couldn't quite make it out. What was it? Kind of leaned in. Alive? Is that what she said? Alive? It couldn't be. She burst through the door, nearly knocking it off its hinges. It's empty, she said. The tomb is empty. Peter was already up, struggling with his sandals. Jesus said he would do just this, rise again the third day, but it was just that none of his disciples actually believed it would happen. As Peter ran down the road toward the tomb, close on John's heels, the storm clouds were already beginning to break, and a newfound hope was beginning to stream into his heart. That Saturday after Good Friday may have been the very longest day in the history of the world, and longer for, for no one but the disciples and the followers of Jesus as they sat confused and in despair. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he writes this letter to Christians who have been scattered, scattered around the, the region because of persecution. And he wants to write and encourage them. He's sensing that maybe they're feeling a little bit of the same hopelessness he felt that Sunday morning years earlier. And now he wants to pass on the hope that God had given him. Read with me. We're just going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Just three, three verses here. 
He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If there is anybody who had ever felt true hopelessness, it was Peter. Someone who sensed deep despair and pain and agony and shame and regret, it was Peter. That Sunday morning, Peter was fresh out of hope. And yet with dawn came the greatest hope the world has ever seen. And he wants to write here to tell these Christians who who may be feeling like he felt. He wants to tell them a little bit about it. And I just just want to look, as we we look at these verses, I want to point out a couple things. First of all, he points them to the hope of the new birth. He says in verse 3, he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Born again. That's one of those kind of Christianese terms that gets used a lot. And and maybe we know what it means. Maybe we don't. But the Bible says that, that when you trust Christ as your Savior, a miracle happens on the inside. And if you've ever been present for the birth of one of your children or grandchildren or, or you've watched it on TLC, I, apparently there are people that actually watch those shows. And you've, you've seen the miracle of life come forth and, 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 and a baby draw his or her first breaths. It's just amazing. Unbelievable. I got to be present for the birth of, births of Caleb and, and Jaden. And uh, I just... It, it, it's amazing. Hard to put into words. All you can say is it's a miracle. The Bible says that when you trust Jesus as your Savior, that a similar miracle happens on the inside. It, it's a spiritual birth rather than a, a physical, natural birth. The Bible says there's a change that takes place. And all of a sudden, God gives us new affections and new desires. And maybe you can remember this. Maybe you you're someone who's trusted Christ later on in life and you had some habits or you had some lifestyle things that, that you weren't proud of and, and God changed you and all of a sudden he began to slowly take some of those away. It doesn't mean we never want to sin. It doesn't mean that we don't ever have that, that temptation again. But all of a sudden God begins to replace those old affections with new ones. That's the miracle, the new birth. And Peter wanted to encourage them with that. He wanted to give them hope that God is at work on the inside, even though there's persecution coming from out. And this was during the reign of Nero. And I won't go into Roman history or anything this morning, but Nero was a nasty, nasty guy. Nero prided himself in finding new ways to torture and persecute Christians. And Peter is writing to believers who are being persecuted by this guy. And he says, listen, I want to give you some hope this morning. And the first thing he says is that God does a miracle on, on, on your heart when you trusted in him. The second thing that I want to point you to is that this hope is alive. This hope is alive. And I love this phrase. It says in verse 3, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. I I pondered over that phrase a little bit this week because it just seemed 
I mean, he just said, he didn't just say God has given you hope. Like, hey, everything will turn out just fine. I know it's rough right now. When you die, you'll get to be with God. Just hang in there, guys. But no, he says it's, it's a living hope. It's, this hope is, has life to it. It's a, a living, breathing hope. And I got to thinking, what, what's he talking about there? In, in what sense is, is the hope that God has given, given me, what, in what sense is it alive? Well, one way I think it's living is that it continues to grow. I've got four boys, and I've discovered that this baseball season, we, we got out cleats from last year and started trying to cram them onto feet. And all of a sudden, I realized these kids don't, don't wear the same cleats they wore last year. And I, and I and encouraged them. I said, guys, if we just trim your toes a little bit, I think we can. <laughs> They weren't really excited about that. I, I've, I've noticed that part of growing is, 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 is time goes on, my kids are getting bigger and bigger. Well, the same is true when, in our faith. As, 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 we, as we spend more time with God, as we, as we mature in our faith, it grows. It's a living, active hope. I still remember visiting um, my great-grandmother just before we were getting ready to leave to go overseas to do missions work a few years back. And I, I kind of felt like it would probably be the, the last time I saw her. She was in her mid-90s at that point. And uh, I got a little chance to just say goodbye to Grandma. And, and uh, I still remember, I'll never forget this, with, with tears welling up in her eyes, she said, Jeremiah, I, I don't know why God still has me here. I just want to go see Jesus so badly. I just want to see my Savior. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know why he still has me going. I can hardly see anymore. I can't get around like I want to. I just want to go see my Savior. And as I looked into her eyes and I saw the tears welling up, I could see someone. That's, that's a hope that is living and active and it has been growing. And it is ready to bubble over. She just wanted to sit at the feet of her Savior. And I've been around others who know Christ and have loved them, loved him their whole life. And that hope has only continued to build and grow and grow until it's ready to burst. There's another way, I, I think, in which it's active and, and alive. And that is that I believe God gives us hope for a reason. I, I believe that it's, it, it does something in our daily life. It's, it's meaningful. That is, sometimes when, when we think of the word hope in the English language, we look at it as to the future. And Peter, Peter talks about that. We look as a, a future thing. But he says, no, this is, this is a living and active hope right now. That, that means it means something to us right now. It, if he's bringing it up to Christians who are, who are going through some of the most difficult days that we could ever imagine. I mean, these guys were getting burnt alive. They were being thrown to the lions and the Colosseums. I mean, things were really bad. And if Peter brings it up right now, it must, there must be a sense in which it meant something for them in that day, in that moment. Hope is something for us to grab a hold of, and, and it can encourage. Let me just give you two thoughts. First of all, um, hope, hope means that God is at work in the worst trials of life. When we have a living and active hope, we have a knowledge that no matter what is going on around us, what storms are raging in our faith, in our, in our daily lives, we can be confident that we have a God who is still at the helm. Now, we've all been at points in our life where we've looked up and said, 
I don't think so. I'm not getting anything here. I've been praying for him to get well. I've been praying for this pain to go away. I've been praying for a job, and it's just not happening. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, if there's anybody listening. And if they are listening, I'm starting to wonder if they care or if they can do anything about it. And then we come to scriptures like Romans 8, 28, where it says that, that God, for those who love him are called according to his purpose, he is working out all things for their good. Now, that, that's a pretty powerful scripture. I know that it's kind of thrown out there a lot of times when, when people are suffering. It's just kind of a, a magic band-aid. But we don't want to pass over the, the amazingness of that scripture that God has, is actively at work even in the worst circumstances, even if those circumstances were brought about, brought about by our own dumb choices, which sometimes they are, right? God is still at work for our good. That is a living and active hope. The, the other, other example I could think of is that, that this living and active hope can remind us that God has prepared a place for those of us who have trusted in him. As Jesus was spending those last hours on earth with his disciples, we read this the other night during, I believe, our Monday Thursday service. He, he told them, he said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. He wanted to instill hope, and, and he reminded them that this is, this is a real tangible thing that you can grab a hold of and that can get you through life's dark and discouraging moments. It is a living hope. Peter writes of a sure hope, a hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past, the finished work of Christ. Peter hopes for God's salvation, God's deliverance from sin and death. And he encourages the believers with that hope. And then lastly, our hope is a future hope. He says in verses 4 and 5 that there's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The Bible talks about salvation in, in several different aspects. It talks about it happening in the past. If you trusted Christ uh, five minutes ago or 50 years ago, was, there was a past event where you became God's child. It talks about our salvation in the present, God currently delivering us from, from sin's onslaught. And then it talks about salvation in the future where one day we'll finally be free of, of sin and we'll be fully in the presence of God in heaven with him. Peter writes to encourage these believers, and he says that their hope is, he uses three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In the original language of the New Testament, all those words, even though they're slightly different, they almost all sound similar. They all start with an A, and they all have the same ending. And Peter's kind of using a little bit of uh, poetry here to remind them that, first of all, our hope is imperishable. That means it's, it's unable to be destroyed. I don't know if any of you guys were like me, but in, in college, all right, I, my, my roommates, and I, we had a full kitchen and everything, and, and we, everybody was supposed to be responsible for their own stuff. 
Right. I mean, college guys, are you serious? So, so you would open up the fridge and eventually one of us would just get tired of the fridge crawling out from the kitchen. And so one of us would just break down like, fine, I'm just going to clean it. Forget you guys. It'll be your mom. So you get in there and some of the experiments and, and you get ready to go throw it away. And inevitably that guy whose, whose yogurt is just seeping over the top in all its green glory. Um, he'll come in, oh, don't throw that away. It's still good. And you're like, buddy, come on. I, I know that this isn't your major. You're not a biology major here, but there is life here that shouldn't be here. Okay, we need to, <laughs> we need to put this fella down. <laughs> we all know that there's a lot of food that goes bad, whether we admit it or not. It's, it's perishable. But Peter says here that the hope that we have is imperishable. It cannot die. There is nothing that can kill it. It is imperishable. He also says that it's undefiled. It's, it's not polluted. It's not in any way tainted. I also have some storage, stories from college I could probably throw in there, but um, <laughs> unfading means it's not subject to decay. It's not going to fade away. It's not going anywhere. He's using all words with slightly different nuances to, to hammer home the same point, that this is something that you can plant your feet on, that you can hold on to. And he says, through faith. It is waiting for us, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ravi Zacharias has said, hope is that indispensable element that makes the present so important. Significantly, the absence of future hope has an amazing capacity to reach into the present and eat away at the structure of life, just like termites termites on a foundation. When we lose sight of that hope in the future, It automatically begins to affect our present. We start to doubt, we start to worry, we start to fear and question whether God truly will follow through on his word. But all of this is made possible. It says in verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here on Easter morning, we, we can talk about hope Because Jesus is alive. We can can anchor that hope, that, that steadfast hope. We can believe Peter's words here. We can soak in his encouragement. Because our Savior has risen from the dead. The resurrection changed everything. The disciples went from being despondent, discouraged, defeated, and and outright ready to give up to men who just a few chapters later into the book of Acts, the Bible tells us, as we've been studying Sunday mornings, men who turned the world upside down. They became bold in their faith, where before they ran in fear, they hid, they denied, they swore they didn't know him. And then all of a sudden, They became men and women who were willing to die for their Savior. I believe that's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection changes everything. You know, 
sometimes, even though I hate to admit it, kids get this stuff better than we do, don't they? Jesus talks about coming to him with faith like a child. Understanding these truths, sometimes we, we start throwing up our objections, our, our rationalizations, our, well, you don't know what my life's like kind of stories. I, I read this story from Leadership Magazine. You see, there's been all kinds of life-changing events throughout the course of history. None more so than the resurrection, I don't believe. But, you know, you think about way back to, to Constantine's conversion to Christianity or Gutenberg inventing the printing press, the discovery of the new world, maybe more recent U.S. history, uh, two brothers who fixed bicycles for a living that decided they wanted to fly, or, or maybe the attack on Pearl Harbor, the atomic bomb. Or some of you re- may remember when JFK was assassinated. We look at events like that, that that changed how we look at the world. But none more so than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None. I think sometimes kids get that better than us. There, there's a story I read about a boy named Philip. He was born with Down syndrome. He faithfully came to church every Sunday. He attended a third grade Sunday school class with other eight-year-old boys and girls, but it is typical of that age. Children did not readily accept Philip as part of the group because he was different. He had a creative teacher, though, and they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, although not quite fully. The Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought those legs pantyhose containers in to Sunday school, to the classroom. And she told, she gave one to each of the kids and, and she told them they were going to go outside on this lovely spring day and find some symbols of new life. And they were to open up their containers and, and put a symbol of new life in there. And then they were going to come back to the classroom and one by one they would share what they found. So as they returned to the, the classroom, they placed each of the containers on the table, one by one. After each one, whether it was a flower or a butterfly that ceased to fly, a leaf, whatever it was, the class would ooh and ah. And then one was opened, revealing nothing inside. The children exclaimed, that's stupid. That's not fair. Someone didn't do their assignment. Come on. And Philip spoke up. That's mine, he said. Philip, you don't do anything right. Can't you understand the instructions, Philip? There's nothing here. He said, I did the assignment. I did what I was asked, Philip insisted. Look, the egg is empty, just like Jesus' tomb. Silence followed. And from then on, Philip became a full member of the class. The story went on to say that not long afterward, he died unexpectedly of an infection that most normal children would have shrugged off. And at the funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the altar, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school, with their Sunday school teacher, each to lay an empty pantyhose egg on the altar. 
little Philip understood something that many of us, maybe even today, still don't. The resurrection changes everything. And I, I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but chances are there are people who have walked in this room this morning who are barely clinging on to hope if they have it anymore at all. Whatever curveballs have been thrown at you, whatever circumstances have come your way, you're just wondering if there's something. The Bible says that when we have trusted in Christ, we are given a living hope. And there are times when it doesn't seem like there's anything to hold on to. And in those moments, I want to encourage you to cling on to the promises of God. Because there will be times when you are on your knees and maybe heaven is silent. There are times when discouragement will set in and, and fear. We can always remember the words that God has given us. If you're a Christian this morning, I just want to remind you of that hope. I want you to be encouraged that, that God is there to enable you and strengthen you to carry on. Just, just as when Peter sat there in the very darkest hour of his life is when the light began to shine. And did it get easy for Peter? No. No, in fact, history tells us that eventually Peter was crucified like his Savior, only upside down because of his faith. If you're looking for easy, for smooth sailing, I have nothing to offer you this morning. I'm sorry. But I, what I do have to offer you is God's word that, that in those rough seas, he will be by your side and he can sustain you. And for those of you who might be here this morning saying, I, I, I'm, I'm really not sure what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know that hope. I've heard about Jesus. I've, I've spent time in church hearing about God, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't know that I've ever believed that, that he died in my place. And as we've been talking about Monday, Thursday, and, and Good Friday, we, we spoke here about, about the reason that Jesus died. Jesus, Jesus was innocent. He didn't do anything worthy of capital punishment. You ever sit down and, and read the newspaper and you hear a story about someone who was released after like 20 years in prison because new evidence came out that they were innocent? Doesn't your heart just break for those people? You think, oh my word, all that punishment, all the stuff that goes on in prison and all the separation from their family, all these years, and they didn't even do it. Turns out they were right after all. And, and you look at that and you think, all those years of missed memories— isn't that tragic? The difference between them and Jesus is that Jesus was the spotless son of God, the perfect lamb. He had never done anything wrong. The Bible says you and I, the story's different. We're, we're all sinners. We've all broken God's law. In fact, the Bible says that even before we we had a chance to. The Bible says that because of Adam's sin, sin had spread to the whole world and, and we were all born in sin. 
We came into this world in some serious trouble, alienated from God, the Bible says. Yet Jesus came, and he was not crucified because an angry mob got out of control. No, no. He was crucified because it was the plan of sovereign God from the foundation of the earth to give his son as a sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of all those who would trust in him. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to pray and our worship team's going to come up and finish with a couple of songs. Our, our pastoral staff's going to kind of come on up front here. And if, if this morning you're thinking, that's me. I, I really don't know where I'm at, but I, I don't think I've ever trusted in Christ. If you want to know more about that, if you want to explore that a little bit, I'll be down here with the rest of our pastoral team. And as our, as our worship team's playing, I just want to encourage you. There's going to be no high-pressure things. We're doing nothing to embarrass anybody. Just come on up and chat with one of us. We would love to share with you how the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us cause for a living hope. Bow with me in prayer. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, I love Easter. And there are lots of amazing things that happen, lots of good food and lots of time with family. and Good times watching the kids on Easter egg hunts. And all of that is grand and wonderful, but it would be nothing, nothing without the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we are here today to celebrate those songs we sang at the beginning. Oh God, we're, we're no... No coincidence. We serve a risen Savior who gives us hope, who gives us joy, even in the midst of the toughest times of our life. God, I pray that if there's somebody here who's, who's struggling for hope, I pray that they would know you as a near God. But especially if, if that is someone who 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 is not a Christian, who has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. May today be that day. God, may you be at work on their heart to draw them in, to place their faith in Jesus, who has died for their sins, who bore, bore the sin that, that they couldn't pay for, the sin that he didn't deserve, he didn't do. God, may today be that day so that today could be the greatest Easter that they've ever experienced. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.